Chapter Forty Nine of Marion: The Story of an Artist's Model by Winifred Eaton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Chapter Forty Nine. Oh, how good it was to enter New York once more. I remembered how ugly the city had looked to me that first time when I had come from Boston. Now even the rows of flat houses and dingy tall buildings seemed to take on a sturdy and friendly beauty. Paul was walking up and down the station, and he came rushing up to me as I came through the gates. He was pale, and even seemed to tremble, as he caught me by the arm and cried, when you did not come on that train i was afraid you had changed your mind and were not coming back to me i've been waiting here all day watching each train that arrived from providence oh sweetheart i've been nearly crazy i told him about the fire and he seized hold of my hands and examined them don't tell me you hurt yourself he cried and when I reassured him, it was all I could do to keep him from hugging me right there in the station. All the way on the car he held my hand, and although he did not say anything at all to me, I knew just what was in his heart. He loved me, and nothing else in all the whole wide world mattered. He had helped me out at the studio building, and now, as I went up the old rickety stairs, I realized that this was my home. It was a ramshackle, very old, neglected, rickety sort of place, and I do not know why they called it Parisis Row. The name did not sound ugly to me, somehow. I loved everything about the place, even the queer business carried on on the lower floors, and old Mary, the slatternly caretaker who scolded the boys alternately, and then did little kindnesses for them. I remember how once she kept a creditor away from poor Fisher by waving her broom at him, till he fled in fear. I laughed as we went by the door of that crazy old artist that the boys used to tease by dropping a piece of iron on the floor after holding it up high. They would wait a few minutes, and then he would come hobbling up the stairs. There would be three regular taps, and then he would put his head in and say, Gentlemen, methinks I heard a noise. On the first floor back, a man taught singing, and he had gotten up a class of policemen. It seemed as if they sang forever the chorus of a song that went like this. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Several artists had committed suicide in the building. I'm not sure of the causes, and we never dwelt upon the reasons. There was nothing pretty about the place. It was cold and not even very clean. But it was my home. Paul opened the door of his studio. The place was all cleaned up and new paper on the walls. He showed me behind the screen a little gas stove, pots and pans hanging at the back of it, and dishes in a little closet. Then, taking me by the hand, he opened a door and showed me a little room adjoining his studio. It seemed to me lovely. It was prepared in soft gray, and the curtains of yellow cheesecloth gave an appearance of sunlight to it. There were several pieces of new furniture in the room, and a little mission dresser. Paul opened the drawers and rather shyly showed me some sheets, pillow slips, and towels, which he said he had purchased for me, and added, 
i hope they are all right i don't know much about such things i knew then that paul intended the room to be for me he had only the one studio room before well little mouse he said are you afraid to live with a poor beggar or do you love me enough to take the chance thoughts were rushing through my mind memories of conversations and stories among the artists on the marriage question by some considered unnecessary and somehow with paul it seemed right and natural and the primitive woman in me answered why not others have lived with the man they loved without marriage why should not i he was waiting for me to speak and i put my hands up on his shoulders and said oh yes paul i will come to you i will a little later i said now i must go over to my old room and have my trunk and some other things i left there brought over and i must tell mrs whitehouse the landlady as she expects me back today well don't be long said paul i'm afraid you will slip through my arms just as i have found you mrs whitehouse the landlady met me at the door i told her i was going to move over to fourteenth street to parisis row she threw up her hands and exclaimed land sakes that is no place for a girl to live and i have no use for them artists they are a half crazy lot and never have a cent to bless themselves with if i were a young and pretty girl like you miss asco i would not waste my time on the likes of them now there's been a fine-looking gent calling for you the last two days and i told him you'd be back today he's a real swell and if you'd take my advice you'd get right next to him even as she spoke the front doorbell rang she opened the door and there was reggie i was standing at the bottom of the stairs but when i saw him i fled into the parlor he came after me with his arms outstretched i found myself staring across at him as if i were looking at a stranger marion he cried i've come to bring you home i backed away from him no no reggie i don't want you to touch me i said go away i tell you go away you don't understand said reggie i've come to take you home you've won out i'm going to marry you he looked as if he were conferring a kingdom on me listen to me reggie i said i can never never be your wife now why not what have you done his old anger and suspicion were mounting he was looking at me lovingly yet furiously i've done nothing nothing but i cannot be your wife if you mean because of boston i've forgiven everything i fought it all out in montreal and i made up my mind that i had to have you so i'm going to marry you darling you don't seem to understand further and further away i had backed from him but now he was right before me i looked up at reggie but a vision arose between us paul bonnot's face paul who was waiting for me who had offered to share his all with me and somehow it seemed to me more immoral to marry reggie than to live with the man i loved reggie bertie i said it's you who don't understand i can never be your wife because because oh it was very hard to drive that look of love and longing from reggie's face once i had loved him 
and although he had hurt me so cruelly in the past in that moment i longed to spare him the pain that was to be his now well what is it marion what have you done reggie it's this i no longer love you i said there was silence and then he said with an uneasy laugh you don't mean that you are angry with me i'll soon make you love me again as you did once marion you'll do it when you are my wife no no i never will i said steadily because because there's another reason reggie there's someone else someone who loves me and whom i adore i hope i may never see a man look like reggie did then he had turned gray even to his lips he just stared at me and i think the truth of what i had said slowly sank in upon him he drew back i hope you'll be happy he said and i replied oh and i hope you will be too i followed him to the door and he kept on staring at me with that dazed and incredulous look upon his face then he went out and i closed the door forever on reggie Bertie. the expressman had just put my trunk in the studio i opened the door of the little room that paul had fixed up for me are you afraid darling he asked are you going to regret giving yourself to a poor devil like me i answered him as steadily as my voice would let me for i was trembling i am yours as long as you love me paul i had started to remove my hat not yet darling said paul and he took me by the arm and guided me toward the door first we have to go to the little church around the corner end of chapter 49 recording by james k white Chula Vista. End of Marion, the story of an artist's model, by Winifred Eaton.